Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org slash membership. My colleague Aaron and I are preparing for Malchut 2022, the annual First Fruits of Zion conference, which begins next Sunday in Dallas. I wish you could all be there to participate. This year, three or four hundred FFOZ friends and Torah club leaders from around the nation are coming together. It's not like the conferences we used to host for the ministry here at Beth Emanuel over Shavuot. There are no holy days or synagogue services. The whole thing is over in about 40 hours. Compared to the days when 200 visitors would cram in with us here at Beth Emanuel, the big hotel venue feels spacious and accommodating, and everything is highly professional, tightly choreographed, and high energy. The teachings are all kingdom-focused, and the emphasis is always on getting spiritually recharged for carrying on the work of the kingdom. It's a great conference. The only thing that is really missing from it is all of you. It's an important event because it offers these brothers and sisters who live isolated from others with shared convictions something we take for granted here at Beth Emanuel. That is, the opportunity to come together and find some fresh inspiration in the fellowship of like-minded disciples. Those of you who live here in Hudson and have never been part of the broader Messianic Jewish movement should really go out into the broad, wide world one day to experience what it's like to not live in Hudson and not have the opportunity to attend Beth Emanuel. We take it for granted, and I can tell by the regular abundance of open seats in the synagogue that it's regarded as ho-hum for most of us. But we have many brothers and sisters and long-distance members, too, all over the country and all over the world, who do not have the privilege of being part of a Messianic community at all. Even those who are fortunate enough to have a Messianic Jewish synagogue community or a Sabbath fellowship or some other form of Messianic fellowship among like-minded believers often wish they had a community like ours, one that is more robust with families committed to common cause and a synagogue committed to an authentic expression of traditional Judaism under the name of our Master. Malchut offers many of these brothers and sisters a chance to connect and reconnect and find inspiration through a mutually shared mission and then to return to their homes and continue to soldier on for the cause of the kingdom in frontier border posts of small Torah clubs and Bible studies. These brothers and sisters have taken up the responsibility of being a royal priesthood of Messiah, partnering along with Israel in her mission to be a light to the nations and a priestly nation. They are committed to what we teach and all that we are about. They are like missionaries or Lubavitcher shlichim working the soil in the king's field, scattering the seed of the word, looking for where it may take root, whether it fall on the rocky soil of the beaten path, the stony soil where the root can find no depth, the weed-choked soil where the worries and distractions of life choke out the word, or the good soil where the message can take root and produce an abundant harvest. The brothers and sisters who gather for Mahut are not normal people. They are heroes 
and adventurers, not content with being mere spectators on the sidelines of our religion. They are the donors and leaders who have accepted the Master's calling to follow after Him and become fishers of men. This is like what we read in our Torah portion about Aaron and his sons who are adorned with garments of splendor and beauty so that they can minister before Hashem and before the nation as priests. Likewise, these disciples of our Master who lead Torah clubs and Hayasod studies and contribute generously to the work of the kingdom are clothed in garments of splendor and glory in the form of their mitzvot, their good deeds, and their labors for our Master. Back here in beautiful, historic Hudson, Wisconsin, we can be proud of the decade of Shavuot conferences we did host for the ministry. It was here in Hudson, at Beth Emanuel, that the foundation was laid for what is becoming a national and international initiative to disseminate Messianic Jewish teaching to the world. A lot of memories from those days. My favorite memory is the time that, on an extremely hot and humid Arab Shabbat, all of us crammed into the fellowship hall for Arab Shabbat dinner, I don't know how many people, and the humidity was so intense that it began to condense on the floor. We had no air conditioners, or if we did, they weren't up to the task. Presently, the floor turned slick with moisture. It pooled on the tiles, and people began to slip about, some falling falling to the floor. Out of the kitchen came Anne Moberg, skating on two towels, one under each foot, and she mopped the floor in this manner, back and forth, like a parody of an Olympic figure skater. Then there was was the not-to-be-forgotten all-night youth and young adult Bible study on an Erev Shavuot, led by Toby Janicki and Jacob Honky, and I don't know who else. I wasn't there. I was sleeping in my office. But the kids stayed up all night learning. When the sun began to rise, they said, We won't be able to stay awake until Shachrit at 10 a.m. Let's pray Nates and do it now. The young people gathered in the sanctuary as a heavy storm darkened the sky, and as they prayed and read the Ten Commandments in commemoration of the day that God came down on Mount Sinai to deliver the Ten Commandments in thunder and lightning, heaven obliged with flashing lightning, booming thunder and the presence of the Lord. The storm was long gone, and all the youth and young adults were fast asleep by the, by the time the rest of us arrived in the sanctuary to pray. I'm sure we could tell stories like this all day, but my point is simply this, that we too played an important part in the miracle of Malchut. Our annual Shavuot conferences turned this scattered group of individual FFOZ magazine readers and Torah club readers and Hayasod students into a family. Into our family, actually, and my children have married into it. Those annual conferences transformed these people who came from as far south as Florida and as far north north as Alaska, as, as far away as New Zealand and Australia, England and Israel, into a people. In the last years of those events, my daughter Miriam and I conspired with Toby Janicki and we launched a separate track for youth and young adults, which became the First Fruits of Zion 1221 program, Camp Tzadi, and ultimately gave birth to numerous marriages, making this people into a large extended family. We became more than a set of theological ideas. We became a people. But I'm not here today to wax nostalgic. 
Instead, I'm urging you to look ahead to the future and to commit yourselves once again to the mission entrusted to us by our Master Yeshua. If we aren't doing our job as disciples, of what value are we to the kingdom or to anyone else for that matter? If we aren't doing our job as disciples, we are likened unto salt that has lost its salty flavor and is no longer useful for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The real contribution of our community to the work of the kingdom and the advancement of the message is not in the past, but in the present and in the future. I'm encouraged and inspired by the potential of the future programs and opportunities for kingdom work coming out of Beth Emanuel and the things that are already happening, the families that are happening, the babies that are happening. Neither are the glory days of our Shavuot conferences over. Three years ago, we hosted our own event independent of First Fruits of Zion, King David's birthday. It's the second time we've done that. We took two years off to celebrate the pandemic, but this year we are back on again for a big three-day event of non-stop holy time. The schedule begins on a Friday night, June 3, with Erev Shabbat. Shavuot falls on Sunday and Monday, so it's a total of three days of non-stop holy time, Shabbat, Yom Tov, Yom Tov, back to back, and we are expecting a large crowd. I expect to see a lot of our long-distance members who support this community and are spiritually tied into everything we are doing here. I expect to meet a lot of new people who have never been to Beth Emanuel. We are making plans for this gala event now, and we are planning to do it in grand style. Set the dates aside, June 3 through 6, because we are going to need a holy priesthood of volunteers to serve in all capacities. You might think, Shavuot is a long way off. Why are we talking about that? It's not even Purim yet. I'm talking about it now so that we have time to, to make plans and so that other people will have, will have time to make plans, reserve rooms and Airbnb options and so on, so that all of us have an objective to be working together to accomplish. But that's not to diminish Purim, which is coming up, and it's certainly not to diminish Pesach. In Hebrew, the festivals are called Moedim, that is, appointed times. They're the Lord's appointed times. Our Torah portion is concerned with a related word, and that is the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. There's a close relationship between the Moedim, the appointed times, and the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. The tabernacle has three names, Mishkan, which means dwelling place, Mikdash, which means sanctuary or holy place, and Ohel Moed, which means tent of meeting. It's called Mishkan, dwelling place, because God desires to make his dwelling presence, his Shekinah, dwell within it. It's called Mikdash, sanctuary, because it needs to be set apart as a holy place if the holy, holy, holy God is to dwell within it. It's called Ohel Moed, Tent of meeting, because God desires to use it to meet there with his people Israel at the Moedim, the appointed times for meeting. 
Look at what it says in our Torah portion about this. It says, Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. That is the continual burnt offering for which the times of prayer are associated. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth seah of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron and his sons, I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Exodus 29, 37-46 From these words, we learn that the tent of meeting is not merely a sideshow to the narrative. It's the point of the story. This is why God redeemed Israel from Egypt so that he might dwell among them, and so that they shall know that I am the Lord their God. It's also the point of the future messianic redemption, the future kingdom redemption, as it says in Ezekiel, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary, my mikdash, in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place, my mishkan, shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Ezekiel 37, 26-28 This is the same formula. God dwelling with his people, meeting with his people. But this time, it's not just for the sake of Israel knowing that the Lord is the God of Israel, but for the sake of all nations on earth to know it. All the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the same idea. This same idea is also the point of the ultimate culmination in Olam Haba, the world to come, when New Jerusalem descends and it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21.3 In all these things and all these ages, the point is that God wants his presence here in this world with us and for us to create for him holy space in which we meet with him at holy time. These holy times are the annual Moedim, the festivals like Shavuot and Pesach. But every Sabbath is also an appointed time. 
In fact, the holiness of the weekly Sabbath is actually greater and higher than the holiness of the annual festivals. And moreover, every single day has small appointed times, Moedim, in the form of the times of sacrifice, Shachrit and Mincha, morning and afternoon, the hours of prayer corresponding to the continual burnt offering we just read about. Last week, I reminded you that a synagogue is patterned after the temple, just as the tabernacle itself was made on the pattern of the design that God showed Moses on the mountain. The synagogue, which is called the small sanctuary, is based upon the pattern of the temple. In that regard, there is a hierarchy that begins with the heavenly dwelling place, the temple above that is not made with hands, which was revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. According to the pattern of that sanctuary, he made the sanctuary on earth, the tabernacle, which became the holy temple in Jerusalem. And the synagogues are daughters of the temple, based upon the pattern of the temple. We don't offer sacrifices here in the synagogue, but we read the, we read the Torah at the Bema, corresponding to the altar services in the temple. And we conduct prayer services corresponding to the times of sacrifice. We don't offer up incense, but we offer up the aroma of prayer. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant, but we have an Ark of the Torah, which is the Book of the Covenant. And if there are Kohanim present, they offer the blessings that once they offered in the temple. When it comes to the spiritual efficacy of ceremonies, the rule is that you get out of it what you put into it. The prophets derided the nation of Israel for going up to the temple at the appointed times and offering sacrifices and prayers and burning incense to God on his Sabbath days and appointed times while their hearts were far away from him. Hashem said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The rituals and the ceremonies are merely ritual ceremonies, devoid of meaning if they are not invested with meaning. This is true whether we are talking about a priest offering a sacrifice in the temple or a woman lighting Shabbat candles on a Friday night or a person reading the words of a psalm from a book of psalms. These are not magical ceremonies. We are not magicians who must perform a perfunctory formula to achieve a magical effect. Instead, the Torah's ceremonies are empty vessels which must be filled with faith if they are to be efficacious. This can be compared to the menorah that burned in the temple. Our Torah Torah portion begins by saying, You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Of Israel. Why do the people need to bring the oil? Why don't the priests provide the oil for the menorah? But the oil, like the sacrifices themselves, must come from the people because it's the people that Hashem intends to meet in the temple. The people attending the worship services are not spectators, they are participants, and they must contribute to the effort. Hashem did not say, let them build a tabernacle for me that I may dwell among my priests and meet with my priests and everyone else may watch. The priests are only there to facilitate the meeting between Hashem and Israel. And this is the secret significance of the words, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Israel 
the nation of priests, facilitates the meeting between God and the nations. As it says in Ezekiel, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. But you need faith to make it work, whatever the ritual is, whatever the ceremony. You can't expect to show up here on Sabbath morning and have this encounter with God if you don't come here with a heart filled with faith, focused on the expectation that you are coming here to meet with God. For example, did you know that a sacrifice can be invalidated just by having the wrong intention? According to the Mishnah, if a priest is offering a lamb or a burnt offering and he's just sort of drifting and he's thinking, peace offering or sin offering instead of burnt offering, the sacrifice is invalid. It's not a sacrifice any longer. It's just a dead animal. Likewise, with our prayers and our attendance at the synagogue and our Sabbath meals and our holy days, if we are merely going through the motions, we should not expect to meet with Hashem. But if we approach all these things in the expectation of faith, that this is God's dwelling place, that this is where God meets with me, here in this holy place, here in this appointed tent of meeting, here at this appointed time of meeting, then he will do so. He will show himself faithful. His spirit will quicken us and he will say, Behold, this people honors me with their hearts. Their hearts are near to me. I believe that when we believe that God dwells with us in this place, in this sanctuary, He dwells with us, and the dwelling place of God is among men. This is a matter of intentionally practicing the presence of God, which we do at all times and in every place, how much more so here in his house. If we come in faith and sincerity to receive his blessings here, we receive them. And when we believe we receive a touch from Hashem here, we receive it. And when we come in simple faith, believing that God hears our prayers offered here in the name of his son, Yeshua, he hears them. As he heard the prayer of Hannah in the tent of meeting at the appointed festival in Shiloh. And when we believe he will speak to us, he speaks to us. It's a reciprocal relationship to which genuine faith is the key. This is also true for all the habits that form our everyday experience of practicing the presence of God and dwelling in that presence. Remember that core habit to which we all, those core habits to which we all agreed. Every member of Beth Emanuel commits to the habit of daily prayer and study, the habit of daily acts of charity, and the habits, the habit of regular attendance. These habits are criteria for membership, as much as immersion in our Master's name, because in all these things, like all things in life, we get out of it what we put into it. What if we really believed that this was a holy place, that God dwells here and desires to meet with us here? What if we believed that He hears our prayers and responds to the blessings uttered here? How awesome would that be? How powerful our worship and the intentions of our hearts. For what would we miss such an opportunity? What if we really believed our own religion? If we take our faith seriously, our Heavenly Father will take us seriously. If we treat His house as holy, 
He will sanctify us in it and raise us up before him to minister as a royal priesthood before him. I want you to be proud of being Beth Emanuelites. We are your community. We are your family. We are your tribe. And this synagogue is your holy place in which your God's presence dwells and desires to meet with you. Next Sunday, God willing and with God's help, Aaron and I will be in Dallas teaching at Mahut. But we will be there on your behalf as your representatives to that broader growing family of brothers and sisters. We will bring your greeting and act as your kohanim, so to speak, your ambassadors. Pray for us and for the conference. Pray that when we open our mouths, we are given words to speak, and that it will not be us speaking, but the Spirit of our Father in heaven speaking through us. And we will carry you there in spirit, as Aharon, the brother of Moses, carried the names of the twelve tribes of Israel upon his shoulders when he entered the holy place. Just as we carry Beth Emmanuel in our hearts always, as Aharon, the high priest, had the names of the twelve tribes inscribed upon the stones of the breastplate of judgment. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul.